Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview. Or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. Father, um, thank you for being with us today. Uh, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would open each of our hearts to, um, to hear your word, uh, to hear those things that you want to speak directly to each of us, and then to hear those things that you're saying to us collectively as the body of Christ represented in this congregation, this gathering, in this time and place. We just believe that you have words for us to hear and, and words that will give us life and give us direction for life moving forward. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned at the close of worship, we are moving into the Lent season together. Uh, we're looking forward to Easter coming up in a number of, of weeks, uh, last Sunday in March. Um, and so last week we kicked off talking about this time of Lent, talking about this season. We're going to be doing a teaching series through the rest of Lent that is going to be focused on spiritual disciplines that help us to lean into the new creation. Uh, we believe that after being crucified, Jesus rose on the third day and, and is alive forevermore. We believe that uh, his resurrection represents for us the destiny of humanity, the new creation that God is ushering all things into. And, um, and so uh, this Lent, we're going to be looking at practical uh, lifestyle type things, uh, uh, disciplines that you can engage in that just help you live into that new creation reality. And so um, looking forward to that series. But before we get into all that, we have a little bit of unfinished business from our previous series that we've been trying to wrap up. We started off this year talking about things that God had spoken to us uh, when we initially planted Renewal. Uh, things that we feel like God has spoken about our identity, who he's calling us to be, who he wants us to be in in uh, in our community. And uh, for, I mean, for those of you who don't know, we're a, we're a church plant, meaning we were started about, uh, well, a little over 10 years ago. And so we were looking at Bible verses that God had put on our hearts, scriptures that he'd used to speak to us about who he wanted us to be, uh, partly to be reminded of who he'd called us to be, but also kind of setting the table for God to speak to us today about who we are to be now. Um, people say you can't know where you're going unless you understand where you've been. So it was a series designed uh, to address some of those things. And so today's the last day for that. We're going to be looking at our mission statement. And, um, and before I just rattle off the mission statement, uh, let me tell you a short story. So uh, in 2016, uh, we'd been a church plant that had been going for a few years uh, I'd mentioned a few weeks ago, uh, we, every fall we would do a leadership retreat, and so our elders and our deacons and our, our staff would meet together and seek the Lord for the new year. We used to do it in the fall, and now we do it in the spring. Um, but in 2016, we really felt that God was speaking a new word to us as we uh, got into being a little over three years old as a church plant. Uh, at that point, we were a year and a half into the Roxy Project I was looking through some of my old notes, and in, in 2016, I spent 47 Saturdays down here working on the Roxy. 47 in 2016. Um, boy, was that a terrible mistake. Um, 
But we're in the middle of this grueling project. Uh, I talked a couple weeks ago about how we bought this theater feeling that, that we'd been called, called by God to invest in a physical space that would be a visible testimony to our community, to the city of, of Longview and Kelso and Callis County. It would be a, a visible testimony of God's renewing and transformative power. That, that we worship a God who makes all things new. We worship a God who takes uh, things that others might say, give up, throw it away, tear it down. And, and by his power and, and his faithfulness, he transforms them into new and beautiful things. The theater had been named the Roxy Theater in the 1930s. And uh, this was a name of a 20th century theater chain uh, that was uh, prominent back then, lots of small towns. Um, but it's based on the Persian word for dawn or light for stars and specifically for the morning star. And, and we thought, well, what better name to capture what it is that we want the Roxy to be, a light where people can see uh, God's goodness uh, than, to, than to return it to its historical name. Um, and then the name paired really nicely, as I'd mentioned a few weeks ago, with a passage out of Philippians chapter 2 that was one of our founding verses that talks about shining like the stars. Um, so we're in the midst of this project, and, and as we're working away, we began to experience uh, other changes in our community. You know, we grew up from being a, a brand new church that was a church plant, and I remember the first year, you know, we're deciding at Christmas, what are we going to do at Christmas, and what are we going to do for Easter, and everything was like, we've never done anything before, we can do whatever we want, no one can say, well, we've always done it this way, uh, but after we got a few years into it, you start, you start to become established, and, and I just know if we ever got rid of our December 23rd Eve Eve service, you, you all would leave, you're like, that's tradition, that's when we gather to worship the Lord on December 23rd, but Really, the only reason we did that was because someone had already booked the Kelso Auditorium on the 24th for their Christmas Eve service. So um, so we're becoming more established. Uh, we went from being a, a mobile church that didn't really have a home to being a church that had been entrusted with a 100-year-old treasure of a building. Uh, <laughs> it's just a treasure. Most old buildings are. If you've ever owned an old building or worked on an old building, you know it's just a delight. Uh, such a treasure. Uh, but I remember during this season, God spoke a, f a fresh word to my heart. And it was similar to how he'd spoken through those other verses three years prior to that at the beginning of the church. And this word that God was speaking to my heart was through the prophet Jeremiah, specifically the text of Jeremiah 29 that is, uh, is lifted out of the larger context of uh, Jeremiah is a prophet who ministered uh, when the Jews were being sent away into exile. Uh, so uh, several years before that, oh, uh, I'm not going to give you the whole Old Testament history, but uh, so <laughs> the Jews have been taken away to live in Babylon and their kingdom's been conquered and they've been forced to relocate. This is what some ancient empires did. If they conquered a region, they would take people from that region and displace them elsewhere. And that was how you made sure that that where they're living now, they don't feel a sense of this is our home and we need to defend it. They've been totally uprooted from all of that and they're, they assimilate into your culture more easily that way. Anyhow, they've been relocated to Babylon and many of the Jewish prophets and people were saying, hey, don't 
Don't get too settled here. Don't put down roots. Our God is going to move on our behalf, and we're going to be back in Jerusalem before you know it. Uh, some of their different traditions that they observed and different feasts that they observed were, were, had written into the, the language of it. Like the Passover always ended saying, next year when we eat this, we'll be in Jerusalem. That was something that had been infused into their uh, liturgy for the Passover when they were exiled out of Jerusalem. <laughs> this hopefulness said, well, next time, next year we'll be back in. Um, so people are talking like this isn't going to be a, a full thing, but then God speaks through Jeremiah these words. This is Jeremiah 29. You can turn your Bibles there and read along if you want. I'll pick it up in verse 4. Jeremiah says in 29 verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. And multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. To paraphrase or shorten up what God is saying to them is one, you're headed to Babylon, not because the Babylonians have conquered you, but there's a deeper purpose behind this. And that is that I have sent you to Babylon. The people of Israel had been rebellious against God for generations and his patience wore thin enough that he finally withdrew his hand of protection over them, allowed the Babylonians to conquer them and take them away. And he says, this is from me. Then he says to them, plant gardens, eat their produce. Well, if you're going to be there long enough to plant and harvest, that's at least a year. Then he says, go ahead and take wives and have children. Well, now we're, that's probably going to take a little bit more time. And then he says, and then take wives for your children and have them have children. And you begin to realize, oh, this is not going to be just a short little journey. There's generations who are going to live here for the bulk of their lives. They end up spending 70 years living in Babylon. So he's essentially saying to them, live your life. And as you live your life, seek the welfare of the city where I send you. God's telling his people to settle in Babylon, that not just to settle, but to have families. And then he says that word and multiply in the land. I've been learning to read my Bible a lot more carefully than I used to. And so when a word like multiply pops up now, I'm like, oh yeah, that's an important word. That's a super important word. Where does the word multiply pop up elsewhere in Scripture? What does it remind you of in Scripture from Genesis 1? Genesis 1, yes. God created man in his image. He blessed them and he told them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I think he says, be fruitful, multiply, rule over the earth and over all the creatures that are in it. God's original commission for humanity was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So what is God saying here to the Jews who are sent into exile? He's saying to his people who are headed to Babylon, go to Babylon and be fruitful and multiply. In other words, Babylon is your next step in fulfilling my created purpose for humanity. Did it have to be this way? When God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, did he, did he, 
Did he mean for that to happen through the oppression and conquering of the Babylonians? Well, it would not necessarily seem that way. But because of the choices Israel has made, Babylon has become their next step towards fulfilling his purpose. Sin took Israel on this kind of detour, if you will. But when humanity's sinfulness leads us away from what God has for us, he is not deterred. He holds fast to his purposes and he decides, well, I'm going to accomplish my will for you is to be fruitful and multiply as image bearers in this, in, in, in this world I've created. I'm going to accomplish that in Babylon now. Don't think that you're off the hook for being who I had called you to be all along. Now, being fruitful and multiplying in Babylon under oppression is probably going to look a lot different than it would have in the garden if the fall had never happened. But God is working all of these things together for the good of his people that he's called. What's God saying to them? He's saying, even though you're facing Babylon, my purposes for your life have not changed. We can look at at what God's saying to them. Similar to this theme is, is when we look at who God is saying this to, we see a similar idea here. God is saying this to his people, to Israel. Generation after generation of rebellion and faithlessness to God. And now judgment is here. And yet, despite the fact that judgment is here and and their disobedience, and despite that there's exiles and brutal empires involved in the equation now, God is still committed to revealing his goodness to the world through his chosen people, Israel. He's still decided to preserve a remnant of his people, that through them, his goodness and his character is going to be revealed on the earth. They're his image bearers. They've been made in his image so that creation would know who God is. They're not just going to live in the land, but they're going to be fruitful and they're going to multiply and they're going to fulfill humanity's commission. God says, I want you to fulfill a commission. He says, not just that. He tells them, you need to seek the welfare of the city where you've been sent. The homeland of their oppressors. I want you to seek that welfare, for in its welfare, you will find your own. Imagine what that kind of a command means to you if you're in their shoes. I feel like it's pretty easy for me living here today to feel like God says, seek the welfare of your city. And I'm like, well, you know, I love I love Cowlitz County. I love I love the cities around, you know, the Three Rivers region. Like God telling me to seek their welfare. It's not that hard. But these Jewish people had just been conquered and dispossessed of their houses. Their family members had died in, you know, hostile, bloody war. And off they go to Babylon, and God says to them, I want you to seek the welfare of your oppressors, for in its welfare you're going to find your own. Does this sound at all like love your enemies, like the Jesus love your enemies speech to anyone? I mean, again, you read your Bible carefully, you realize, like, God is the same as he always was. His purposes are never changing. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's doing the same thing. It might take different forms. It might look different in different seasons because of where humanity's willfulness to sin, you know, takes us all over the map. But God's spirit is a steady force calling us back to who he's created us to be. 
He says, in the city's welfare, you will find your own. God knows that humanity cannot find our welfare at the expense of our fellow man. Scripture is so clear on this. You cannot lift yourself up by pushing other people down. How God has structured things makes it so that the gospel doesn't make a lot of sense unless, if you, unless you're somehow serving people who are in need, serving people who are less fortunate than yourself. The reality of the human condition is that we cannot thrive at the expense of our neighbors. You might think that you can, but you can't. Cain thought. So there's two brothers, early story in Scripture. Adam and Eve sin, they cast out of the garden, they have two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain becomes jealous of his brother Abel, and Cain thinks that I will, I will be able to thrive if I can just get rid of my brother. At expense of his life, I will get to be who I should be, who I, who I ought to be. My life will look like it ought to look. So he murders his brother. That same spirit, that same idea is present inside of us. Anytime that we think to ourselves, at the expense of somebody else around me is my only course for advancement. Cain murders his brother and he thinks, man, I, I got away with that. He goes and builds a city. He thinks, well, this is going great. Has some kids of his own. Man, that was great. But then you end up finding out that, that you know, murderous thoughts have infected the heart of humanity. It all culminates a few generations later when it says every thought of their hearts was evil and God ends up judging with the flood and, and all of that. We cannot get ahead by pushing others behind ourselves. Jesus reiterates this idea. He says to the crowds in one of his early teachings, oh, you, you haven't murdered? You think you're doing pretty good? He says, I say to you, Whoever has disdain for his brother is like the murderer. You know, the moment that you look at someone who was made in God's image and, and you have anything but their good in your mind is the moment that you're joining into the creation that's passing away. It's the moment that we're falling into the trap, the lies, the deceit that has wreaked havoc on creation since the fall. The Apostle John wrote, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. Because whoever does not love their brother or sister who they can see cannot love God whom they've not seen. I feel like this moment hits hardest for me in those seasons of life when I feel like my life would just be better if I could just get certain people out of it. If I could just, you know, I mean, I don't want to murder anyone, but there's definitely some disdain there. There's some wanting to distance myself and get away from people who are causing problems for me. And I'm reminded that's not who God is. That's not the kingdom. That's not new creation thinking. That's the kind of thinking that got us into this mess. Even as God was carving out a space for us in downtown Longview, we felt a renewed sense of a calling from him to love the people of our community. That 
In the same way that God was calling the Jewish people going into exile in Babylon to settle in for the long haul and to seek the welfare of their city. We felt like God was saying for us to do that here in this space. We felt that God had given us this as a mission, that we're to seek the welfare of our city for however long we're going to be in exile here. Maybe 70 years like Jerusalem, I don't know. Out of this conviction, we ended up revamping our church's mission statement. So over the course of the next few months with this sharpening of our calling from God and this vision of what he wants us to be as his people living here in our community, we we changed our mission statement to it's now that we are raising up engaged citizens and equipping them with resilient faith in Jesus Christ. We felt like there was something about uh, the call that God, God has on us to seek the welfare of the city around us, something about the call that God has on us to love our neighbors and our enemies as we would ourselves, that, that this was the way that we could put that into language. We're looking to be engaged citizens, members of a society who are engaged. We're looking to live our life of faith outside of the four walls of our church that exists in this building, even as God gives us a building, we felt like he's saying, you need to don't get stuck in the building doing your own thing. And also outside the four walls of the church network of relationships, where it's like our hearts are turned toward those who are outside of these circles. We're looking to be Jesus' followers out in the community, people who are making the sacrifices that it takes to be engaged citizens. I think about the most impactful moments in a week at Renewal, and I think about the moments that different ones of you are out doing the things that you're doing, living as the people of God out in the community. And I think the most impactful moments of our church, the, 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 the moments that we see our community transformed, are probably not those moments that are happening on a Sunday morning when we're all together, but it's the moments that happen when you are, wherever you are, at 10 a.m. on Tuesday. And you're being a light and you're being salt to the, whoever it is that you're with at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday or 4 p.m. on a Friday. So I don't, I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it's signing up to coach a little Little League. Maybe it's volunteering at a school or an organization. Maybe it's rethinking who you are when you're at work as an employee and as a co-worker and seeing yourself as an ambassador of God's kingdom there. Maybe it's attending a city council meeting or, or hanging out next door at the senior center. But whatever it is, it's about going to where the people are at and joining their lives in humble service and in selfless love and in a proclamation of the gospel, who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for humanity. I know that it's a tall order because engagement is costly. It takes your time. None of us have any time. It takes your money. We have more money than time, but <laughs> maybe we don't feel like we're drowning in money. It's a costly venture. Relationships are costly. People end up hurting you or disappointing you. Maybe it's easier to stay at a safe distance. But we believe this is who God has called us to be in our community. Engaged citizens, not disengaged. 
we can't be fruitfully engaged in our community without resilient faith. At the end of the day, our hope for this is that God would be with us through it, walking with us. The solution to our problems is not our community engagement. It's the presence of Jesus Christ going with us into these spaces. The hope doesn't come from whatever unique abilities you might possess or your commitment to serve your city or wherever God has strategically put you. The hope is that Christ is in you and he's the one who's working through you, transforming the world around you. The hope is in the spirit working through the body of Christ, bearing God's image in our world. We had this term resilient faith and and like most people do over mission statements, you know, we toiled over this language. What's the best way to say this? What are the most important things we want to communicate? And and a good definition I've come across from for the word faith is the term believing loyalty. So maybe we could have said we're equipping our engaged citizens with believing loyalty in Jesus Christ. Believing loyalty is wonderful because I feel like the believing part captures the part of faith that that is happening in our mind, in our heart. Like we believe these things to be true, but but loyalty is one of those things that's only demonstrated through action. People can call themselves loyal all day long, but you know who's loyal when you see who's lining up next to you when things get hard. You can tell who's loyal by what they do. And we talk about faith, we're talking about the kind of trusting relationship in God that produces change. The kind of trusting relationship with God that produces action. You imagine, it's one thing to say, I believe Jesus is worthy of all worship and honor and praise. And it's another thing to worship only Jesus. To abandon whatever idols you may have or any source of hope or self-worth or source of identity that's found outside of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Faith produces that kind of transformation in the hearts of people who embrace it as a gift from God. It's one thing to say, I believe in God. It's another thing to find yourself on your face in his presence knowing that that moment is the most important moment of your day or your week or your month or however often you can find yourself on your face in his presence. On Easter, we celebrate the fact that through Christ's faithfulness, all of humanity has been transformed. That he did for us that thing that we couldn't do ourselves. And he's welcoming us to live in his finished work each and every day through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We talk about resilient faith and we're talking about the kind of faith that invites us into that relationship. The combination of belief and action that that sees you walking with God. If spirit-filled, engaged citizenship is what we're to be about in our community when we're out there, then I think in many ways when we're gathered together, what we are looking for is living in that reality of resilient faith together. That God's presence cultivates this resilient faith inside of us. We, we have this weekly gathering, or if you're participating in some of the other Bible studies or small group things that we have going, you're, you're a part of those things because you believe that that's a place where God is filling your life with resilient faith. 
so that you can do the things that he's called you to do in your community. You know, we officially adopted this mission statement in late 2016 and did a series kicking off 2017 talking about it. Um, and when I look back on those years now, what is it, 2024, 27, so seven, seven, eight years later, um, man, who'd have known what would be required of us when we took that on? I said, I said in 2017, uh, good riddance to 2016, 47 Saturdays at the Roxy. I'm never doing that again. And, um, and then I said, you know, we're a couple months out from moving in. We moved in in May of 2018. So <laughs> that was kind of how that whole project went. But, you know, if we'd have known the, the grueling pace and the length of time and, and the expense of seeing our dream of the Roxy come true, there's no way we'd have ever bought the building. There's just no way. I mean, certainly not with me in charge. I would have been like, not a chance. And I will never do it again. I'll never do it again. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. That's how I end up doing things like that again. God's like, oh, yeah, I got better ideas for you. Um, there's Honestly, there's times that I thought there's no way we're going to pull this off. I mean, we had the front of the building torn out, you know, no doors, and, um, and it's a mess. And I thought, there's no way. It's just never going to happen. We're never going to gather here and worship here because there's too much work. The price is too high. The laborers are too few. It's never going to happen. But somehow, God carried us through and used that as a refinement for our faith, building resiliency into us as a community. Shortly after we moved into the Roxy, we'd have never known the suffering that we would go through as our loved ones had to navigate the untimely deaths of five different church family members between 2018 and 2021. All people under 40 dying. And then the accompanying trauma and relational tension and the trouble that comes from those kinds of things. Our church family was steeped in grief and loss for years. And there was times through that process where I thought, I don't know how we're going to survive. I don't know how we're going to make it through this. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. I can't believe it. And yet somehow the Spirit of God carries us through these seasons and uses them to refine us, to build resiliency into our faith. Like everyone around us, we were thrown into worldwide pandemic and contentious election cycles and all these things add up to you realize very quickly how important resiliency is. That you can walk through the stuff of life and somehow hold on to the idea that God is still who he says he is. And that Jesus Christ is faithful. And not just give up on it all. And then you begin to realize, if you think about it, that resiliency isn't built by laying around on pillows. Strength isn't developed by resting in comfort. God used these trials to refine us. God uses the present trials that you and I are walking through. That we're walking through as a family of faith together. He uses these things to refine us. I was reading through 1 Peter. It was a little, it was late last week. Uh, searching for scriptures, sorry, searching for answers in scripture, right? Uh, you sit down and you're like, God, I just need to hear from you. 
And I think if you're sitting down and you need to hear from the Lord, opening your Bible up and starting to read is a great first step. So maybe putting your phone away would be a great second step. Um, turning the TV off, <laughs> whatever else it might be. Anyhow, Peter's talking to Christians about suffering in, in chapters 4 and 5 towards the end of the book. Um, and and he, he closes his remarks on this, saying these words from First uh, Peter 5. Uh, you can turn there if you want. We're going to pick it up, uh, middle of verse 5. He says to the people, All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, and cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind, for your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him and stand firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. If you've been a Christian for any length of time and you heard those verses, you probably thought, oh, that one's famous. Oh, that one's famous. Oh, that one's famous. Oh, that one's a highlight. I was amazed. How often do people chop this letter of Peter up and pull something out to be like inspirational for somebody else in that moment? And yet when you read it all together and you think of it in the context of suffering, I feel like you begin to get a more whole picture of one, what God is doing in all this, and two, what he's calling you to in it. In these passages, I felt a call to remain humble. As we suffer, to not take it on as a badge of courage or look what we've made it through, but to remain humble, saying, Lord, we're just here, your humble servants, trying to do what it is that you've called us to do. I talked last week about, I've been doing a lot of self-reflection as we go through different things together and thinking, Lord, I want to know who it is that you've called James Dieter to be. Who it is that you've made me to be. And as I search through that, I find more and more that, oh man, my identity is not in being a, a good pastor who only has perfect Christians in his church or I joked the other day, like, oh, this church just needs, it's like more perfect Christians. We, just, we need more perfect Christians to outweigh the imperfect ones. Like, this would be great. Uh, perfect rich Christians, preferably. But um, I know, right? Um, my identity is that I'm God's beloved son. He invites me to come into his presence each and every day, not based on whether I had a good day last, last yesterday or not, not based on how well the church is doing or how well my family's doing or whether I'm being a good dad or, you know, all that stuff. Like, he invites me as his beloved son no matter what. And if I can't enter that space with him, I'm, I'm increasingly convinced that the rest of the stuff doesn't matter. And if you can't enter the space that God has for you to come as his beloved child, all the rest of the stuff doesn't matter. 
The good stuff doesn't matter and the bad stuff doesn't matter. You have to find a way to come into his presence. I'm also finding that in his presence, when I come humbly as I am, he is so faithful to speak to my heart about the things that he's wanting to transform. He's so faithful to make me more like Jesus. We come to him as we are, and he transforms us. These things are equally true. As a community, we have hope that as we come to him as we are, we're going to be transformed. What does that transformation look like? Well, we get a glimpse of it at Easter, right? Risen from the dead, glorified body, new humanity. Each of us is on that track, and he's inviting each of us to walk on that track with him. 